0: Two, three, four. The New Zealand-born gallerist Jennifer Flay has lived in France since the early 80s, initially arriving with a French government scholarship to pursue her studies of art history at the University of Nice. Having honed her skills working for prestigious Parisian galleries Daniel Templin and Gislaine Ousno, today, Flay is the internationally renowned director of Paris's contemporary art fair, FIAC. Jennifer Fay, welcome to the creative process.
1: Thank you. Uh, this is a special year for you. Uh, it's the 45th anniversary of FIAC. You have just... Uh, received the KIA World Class New Zealand Award, and your your role in reinventing FIAC and restoring the French art scene is widely recognized in France. I was so moved when I saw so many of your friends and figures from the art world, people you knew from when you first arrived from Auckland to to Nice, Uh, and then in Paris, they all gathered uh, in your honour. And when you came as a young woman from Auckland to study at the University of Nice, did you imagine you would end up at the director of YAC? or...? No, no, of course not.
2: I, eh? um, At that point in my life, and I was, I was 20, I really thought that as an art history student, I would naturally become a professor of art history at university because I didn't, I mean obviously the art world, the gallery world and the art world, wasn't very developed, and we're talking 1979 when I got the scholarship, and 1980 when I arrived in France. Wasn't very, very developed, and there didn't seem to be a lot of um, opportunities apart from, from teaching, uh, which, of course, you know, I mean, my, I was very fulfilled in my academic life, and I looked at that perspective with, with a great deal of serenity. It's when I came to France that I encountered the gallery world. Well, the word to start with became involved through attending openings, uh, um, came into, into into contact for the first time with living artists, living artists that were in part of their creative process, uh, shaping the future of art. And I realised, well, with a sort of very, a great sense of immediacy that things, for example, that Edouard Manet, the painter, said, like, Yes. one has to be of one's time, il faut être de son temps, resonated with me very, very strongly. And through the artists I met, I became interested in the gallery world. Also because, you know, this is the end of the 70s, well, actually in 1980, uh, as I said, to be more precise, but still with the heritage of the thinking of the 70s, thinking that the role of the gallery was criticised. It was obviously a, um, a time where conceptual art uh, practices were very much to the fore, uh the gallerist was criticized in a way that doesn't happen far so much anymore as somebody that was mm, let's say making money you know on the backs of artists and so on. so I was quite interested to to find out what this was all about because the gallery world in New Zealand was pretty pretty much inexistent at the time, so I did an internship at a gallery, and quickly within you know just a couple of days found out that. Well, I saw people that were passionate about what they did, uh, obviously met more artists in the context of, of the gallery itself, and for the first time in my life, really, apart from, um, you know, visiting museums and, and, and the prints and drawing section of the Auckland City Art Gallery, where we did, you know, have physical contact with, with artworks, meaning, you know, picking them up, turning them around, looking at the back. In the gallery, uh, Catherine is I had this first contact with, you know artworks and this physical sensual relationship with them because when you're in a gallery you know not only do you hang them but you carry them around you wrap them up you you store them you unwrap them you carry them around again it's and so it's a it's a very 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 different relationship to the artwork than seeing a projected image which is the way you know yes. most uh, art uh, history students are projected or a, a printed image at least up until a certain period in your university career, and until you have first-hand contact with uh, the artworks themselves, that's that was my experience up until then. So it was it was radical for me, and, and then very quickly on that, um, very quickly after that, I um through just you know life, life uh, dives in there and changes things. I, I um I fell in love with a guy from Berlin, actually, who I'd met through a through an exhibition, a Nice Berlin exhibition that took place in Nice. Right. And followed him to Berlin and kind of fell into the beginning of the the Neuen Wilden, the um new Sauvage mm. painters, which was a German uh, emanation um, or parallel of the Transavantgarde mm. or what was happening in uh, in the states with Julian Schnabel, uh, David Saleh, a return to oh, figuration, yes. which was quite a radical, you know, obviously a radical mm. shift from the seventies. So um pink those artists, and, and, and just, you know, being in, in Berlin, going to cafes at night, just mm. leading a normal life, and, but cafes where, you know, these artists would be arguing, fighting sometimes about issues of contemporary art, and I realised how vital it was in the fact that I wanted to be involved, that I wanted to be involved with, you know, whatever, I, whatever knowledge I'd acquired, over the years. I wanted to to put my efforts uh, to support artists that were working on, you know, in in ways which were yet to be defined, yet to be analysed, yet to be um, catalogued, just to work with living artists of my own generation. So Mm. it was, um, you know, I did what I considered actually very deliberately like an apprenticeship um, worked for three different galleries yeah. for, for for a period of nine years, so three years, three years, three years, and in that time, worked with many of the most important artists of of that time, uh, ranging from Andy Warhol to Roy Lichtenstein to Jean Michel Basquiat, Keith Haring, Robert Longo, and Franz West, and uh, Mike Kelly, Carl uh, Andre, Richard Serra, uh, Lawrence Wiener, it was, it was incredible. I, I realised that I was working with, directly with some of the many of the people that I had studied in my art history exactly. <laughs> courses, so it's kind of like, no, I mean, the answer to your question, did I imagine that I'd be running FIAC, uh, no. Um, did I imagine that I'd be working with those artists on a, on a one-to-one basis, no. And, you know, sometimes at that, at that time, but also now, I kind of have to pinch myself, just mm-hmm. like, this is, you know, this is real, this mm-hmm. is happening. And, you know, today when, and I think that, um, you know, this girl from New Zealand, me, is, yes, at the head of FIAC, and that we, have, um, we have venues in the Tuileries Gardens, where we work with the Louvre Museum, and the Place Vendôme, where we work with the City of Paris. On the Avenue Winston Churchill, which we shut to traffic during the um, fair, on um, upon my request, to the Mayor of Paris directly. But also in the Petit Palais, this year on the façade of the Grand Palais with some um, uh, special artist projects using the techniques of video mapping in mm-hmm. the Grand Palais, and this year also on the Place de la Concorde. I think, wow, that's that's really big. Um, that's pretty... Um, it's pretty major in terms of the scope of the of the fair, its ambition. I know exactly how we got there, because... Um, You've
1: been there from <laughs> the beginning. You really yeah. saved FIAC,
2: you know? That's you really what people reinvented. say. I mean, I yeah. think that... Um, I think it's very important to to realise that, well, for me, in terms of what my motivation was and still is, I had a gallery, as you know, it was a very good gallery. It was a, one of the most important galleries of its generation internationally. It was a very, very respected gallery and obviously very important to me. I still think that's what I do best to work mm. with, work, working with artists. But, of course, during that whole period, that nine years of working for galleries and the 13 years that I had a gallery myself... Um, I became, of course, very, very closely connected with the international network of galleries and, 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 and really developed a, a sense of community with the gallery world and, and the um, these people are probably the people that I understand best because, you know, I was for so much of my life one of them and, mm-hmm. and I, I kind of feel that I still am and so do they. Uh, we understand each other, I know what they, they want, and I, I think I think I can anticipate it even before they verbalise it. So I was part of this gallery world, this Parisian-French gallery world, but also part of the international gallery world. And I had this major, major, major car accident when I was um, in April 1999. You know, I mean, we were driving, um, my, uh, the guy that was installing for me, because um, we, we took down a show that night, and we were starting to get the gallery ready for the next show driving back from the show with my assistant from the gallery at night at at one o'clock when we finished um, work for the day and we had this really really bad car accident in which I had the near death experience and broke my neck and was in a coma and it took me a very 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 long time to recover I mean I'm talking a couple of years a few years in fact I don't think that medically I was considered consolidated with sequels with permanent mm. injury until about two and a half three years after the accident mm. anyway during that time of course i had also i had some um, issues with memory my, my short-term memory was um, impaired because of some lesions brain lesions and so it was very difficult to run a business of course but the gallery was you know so important for me so important it was my life Anyway, one thing led to another, and it became increasingly obvious that given my state of health, I wouldn't be able to continue my business because you yeah. can't run a business when you're in that state. And so I had to close my gallery. And I was devastated because, well, as I said, it was my life. And in my accident, I lost my health um, permanently. I also lost the only child that I was ever expecting in my life. Um, and actually, ultimately, even lost the gallery because I had to close it. Mm-hmm. I was in a post-traumatic state yeah. of mind mm-hmm. when um, I got this phone call from another gallerist, Anne de Valpois, uh, during the FIAC 2003, which was the 30th anniversary of the fair. Of course, I didn't have a gallery anymore, so I wasn't participating. I mean, mm-hmm. actually, I pulled out of FIAC with my gallery probably in 19- 1996 or '97 because the fair was so bad. I continued doing other fairs like Basel, for example, but I wasn't... I wasn't uh, participating in fear. Anyway, I got this phone call from Anne Devaux and she said, "You know, Jennifer, the fair's in a real mess, and we really, we really need an artistic director. And do you think you could do something? I mean, it was already owned by Reed, but she was calling on their behalf. And I was like, you know what? No, because I, I just felt too weak. You know, I felt like mm-hmm. my health wasn't going to hold up, and mm-hmm. and I thought that the fair was also too de- degenerated mm-hmm. for me." or anybody to do anything about it actually. And I, I wasn't quite sure how much I wanted to spend the energy that I, the little energy I had on something that was so badly damaged. And then just listening to the arguments that I was advancing to myself, and if everybody from your generation decides that they don't want to, you know, get themselves dirty, with mm-hmm. Fiac, with mm-hmm. uh, which, which is something that belongs to French cultural patrimony, even if it's in mm-hmm. private hands, you know it's mm-hmm. it's one of the oldest art fairs in the world. If we all, you know, my my friends were all busy with their own galleries, but I didn't, you know, my gallery was shut, so I had time mm-hmm. and probably also the competence and vision, but I didn't want to do it because I was like, oh, I might, you know, I might reputation might be damaged by the fact that I'm working with something so damaged. Mm. and I thought, oh, if everybody reacts the way you work, you're reacting now, you know, we won't leave anything to the next generation, you know. If, if yeah. by pride or ego you don't want to get your hands dirty on something that can be saved but with a lot of work, what will we leave to the to the young people? You know, we were all, a lot of us met each other at, during FIAC in the 80s, and um, so I thought, okay, if you do it, you have to do it with all the you know, the same energy, the same desire, the same uh, ambition mm. as you put into building up your own gallery and putting it on the forefront of the international stage. And the reason for this for this was because I think really that France not only deserves to safeguard or must safeguard her, her cultural institutions, I was in a position to do it. We must make sure that we leave strong uh, institutions, a strong cultural situation to the coming generation. It's a responsibility. Um, also, as a uh, somebody that was not born French, as a foreigner, I felt that it would be perhaps an opportunity for me to put something back into the French yeah. cultural situation. That had left room for me. Nobody was expecting me to show up in France and to you know, to create a group, you know, one of the most important galleries of my generation. So of course there were, I didn't, there was a little bit of jealousy involved here and there, but France had always left left room for me, let me participate, and I wanted to give something back, you know, I was in this post-traumatic state of mind where I thought, you escaped death narrowly I mean I was in death for a while but mm. that now things are different and they've always been different since you have you think differently after something like that and so that 15 years later <laughs> after you know a lot of very late nights um, and you know now my team's great and you know there's probably not quite but there's probably enough of us and, you know everybody is very good at what they do and as invested as I am in the future of the fair mm-hmm. there was a time where team was very very small I you mean, know, I remember working until the early hours of the morning every night I mean it's true that I did do it with the same energy as yeah. with my own gallery but it's, a it's like a big big, big gallery,
1: gallery. <laughs> and it one goes of, onto the street into
2: the gardens yeah. one of my artists said to me that you know oh but now you have a really really big gallery <laughs> And in a gallery, you decide, um, you know, everything that's, that you're going to show. Well, mm-hmm. up until the moment where the artist, you know, wants to show such and such a work. And, and of course, you go with mm-hmm. that um, as a gallerist. And in an art fair, I mean, obviously, I make a lot of decisions, but it's not about my taste. It's, it's about um, things that I think are important, mm-hmm. um, but not necessarily things that, you know, I would live with. It's not about me it's Mm -hmm. about a community and it's about france and it's about the yes the entire you know cultural identity of this country actually Mm -hmm. it's also about the world it's an international outfit yeah yeah and it's also it's it's not just about the cultural community either because i've always thought that artists don't work for the cultural community they work for everybody and i think that we need to constantly enlarge you know, the audience of art, of all forms mm. of art. So that was actually the rationale behind our extension into the public space. Yeah. Providing unique, patrimonial, prestigious venues for artists to show their works, but also trying to make an art fair, which is something which is by nature kind of exclusive, to make it inclusive. When you're able to build a situation where artworks can be exchanged at every level of the market, including the very highest level. Actually, since I've been at Fiat, the largest transaction that's taken place has been uh, around 40 million euros for a a Mondrian. Mm. But, you know, every year there are, at the moment, there are Basquias especially, but also Picassos that sell for between 7 and Mm. 15 or 20 Mm. million euros. Mm. So if you create a strong marketplace in the... And the fear works in that respect. You also have a social obligation to Mm -hmm. try and break down this perception that art is elitist, that art is elitist, it's only for the happy few. This is something that's always revolted me. Mm -hmm. I actually believe sincerely that art is a very, very powerful social binding agent Mm -hmm. and that if we are able to all Mm recognise in this in this France uh, that is black, white and, and brown, you know. Mm-hmm. If we all realise that we have the same culture and that we can all equally enjoy and have access to that culture, then there may there will be less social issues. And we all have loose, less social problems. We have a we have a role to play and certainly, you know, me in a position of responsibility with the with this major cultural event, I have a role to play, and I have an obligation, I think, to show that art is not a restrictive and exclusive field of endeavour, that it's actually very generous and turned towards Mm. each member of the society. So, yes, the Tuileries Gardens was our first site um, outdoors, and then our second site was actually the Jardin des Plantes, we don't work there anymore because it, it, it's actually a little bit too far away from yeah. our main venues. So, although you know we did it for I think six or seven years, it was um, it was it was great. We decided that we would work more within within this geographic perimeter um, where our audience um, wanted to go, and I wanted to create something that was popular i mean in the meantime mm. we started working on the place Vendôme, which is i guess because it's where all the haute joaillerie and mm. and the ritz hotel is it couldn't necessarily be considered a, the most um, democratic of venues but it is a very iconic place with an incredibly rich history also in the time of the commune you know yeah. when corbeil had the police taken down um the Colon, sorry. With regard to the urban, the plan of of the city of Paris when the Grand Palais and the Petit Palais were built to shut the Avenue Winston Churchill down to traffic if we were, of course, able to to get the permission to do so. And I wanted to create uh, out there, which is what we've done for the last two years and will do again this year, something that was very generous and convivial, you know, with there are food trucks and there are, you know, um, light strings and... Art on the street, directly on the street. Uh, I'm not talking about bronze sculptures. I'm talking about works that are conceived to go, you know, on the road. We've had work by Lawrence Weiner that he worked specifically mm-hmm. for, the, for the road last year. Uh, the year before last, last year it was Richard Nunes um, who did a site-specific piece for the road. This year it's Long and Bowman, but we will have, I mean, there are, there'll be at least probably 15 artworks out there. Mm-hmm. Food trucks. Once again, it's absolutely, of course, free of charge. It's designed as a convivial place where kids can come and, you know, use their skateboards, or um, you know, families can come and have a hot dog. And perhaps, if they want to visit the Petit Palais, which Mm. is, you know, it's free of charge, and there's there's work on on exhibit, uh, contemporary works that we show within the Petit Palais about thirty important works but also works from the antiquity you know right mm-hmm. through to the 19th century and it's it's completely free of charge of course mm-hmm. like the Tuileries gardens mm-hmm. and like our like our film projects uh, mm-hmm. like our film program and, and the conversation and then, program yes, yes. yes and our and our performance program yes. so i like this generosity and i think that you know what makes for very special in terms of all the the art fairs in the world is this very prominent cultural component. Mm. I think, obviously, that's a reflection, probably, of what, of, of obviously of what I wanted for the fair, but also it's a reflection of Paris and France. I mean, France is a, is a country catched. which, mm. um, you know, has very, very deep links, roots, and culture. It's, uh, it has many, many, many world-class museums, Mm-hmm. And which are all now, and this is something, um, you know, I sh- mm. I, I'm told that I shouldn't be embarrassed, but um, I, do, I am a little bit embarrassed. About the museum participation? No. <laughs> no. Well, I, no I know, it's kind of embarrassing that they, no, I'm, no. I'm thrilled and I've done, I've done absolutely everything I can to yeah. make that happen, to favour yeah. that, but... But that's great, you know, because it's, it's a vitrine of, of, of everything that the city can can put together. Everything mm. that actually goes on every day of the year in, this, in the city because there is an incredible number of institutions that put on world-class shows. Mm. Paris is very, very special in this way. Um, so yes, uh, FIAC is a combination of all of this, all of the things that, you know, the, there's a Picasso, blue and pink period, blue arrows, period at the Musee d'Orsay, there's another Picasso exhibition at the uh, at the Picasso Museum of um, of Masterworks this year, but there's a huge Friends West retrospective at the Saint Pompidou. Um there's a Zawuki show at the mm. at the Muse de la Ville de Paris. There's a Thomas Saraceno carte blanche at the Palais de Tokyo. Mm. Uh, it's 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 very, very, very impressive um mm. what what the city can um can um uh, can can put on simultaneously in terms of shows the role of FIAC is to is to create a vitrine for all of that because we mm-hmm. we we do at that particular time of the year have a huge um, capacity in terms of um, attracting media attention attracting mm-hmm. public international yeah. public for to, to Paris at that time so therefore to showcase all these all these institutions while providing a strong market platform for our exhibitors and increasing, I hope, or enlarging the, the audience of art or breaking down the, the barriers that for so long have, have led to art being considered as a, as a field for the privileged. I mean, there is, yeah, there is, a, that's, that's kind of the vision, I guess. We, we are considered now to be a, an important part of French cultural politics an instrument uh, of what is described now as soft power. It's something that's very humbling really because yeah, if you had asked me to go back to your first question or if I thought as a New Zealander that I would be responsible for an event that played a very active and crucial role in soft power for France in terms of its position internationally in the cultural world, I would never, of course, have believed it. But I guess, you know, that's why life is wonderful in so many ways.
0: My name is Ali Chow and I am a recent graduate of UCLA. I thoroughly enjoyed this podcast with Jennifer Flay as I share many of the same perspectives and backgrounds with her, also being an art history student. Firstly, I admire how Flay overcame her traumatic experience and stepped up to the artistic director position, despite having lost many of the most important things in her life. Through this podcast, I would also like to personally thank her for having the prospects of future generations in mind when making this decision to continue contributing to the preservation of great art, so that we and our children can continue to have a platform to admire French arts and culture. It is also a lovely notion that she wanted to contribute back to the French art and culture that has welcomed her when she immigrated from New Zealand. Flay's experiences make me really look forward to a study abroad experience in Paris to get a taste of the art world there. I also completely agree with her that art is a powerful social binding agent and that we must encourage a more democratic access to art to show that art isn't just for the elite but for everyone. Especially nowadays when television and social media prop art in a pedestal, figuratively and literally, creating a reputation that it is only available for those who can afford it, it is even more important to show that art can be a platform for anyone who wants to participate, whether that is in producing art or beholding it.
1: If you're just joining us, we're speaking with Jennifer Flay, Director of FIAC, the Foire International d'Art Contemporain. But I want to go back to that fact that you thought you might be a teacher, you might go down an academic route. And as I see everything that you've done, and, and even just doing the research, uh, discovering all of this you know, public outreach, outreach, I didn't realize how extensive it was. It just seemed like even though it is a, proudly, uh, it's a commercial art fair, at the same time, it seems like a community uh, uh, art delivery system that enables that. I'm just so delighted that at the the whole setting, as you say, there are other art fairs and they're very commercial or but the the beauty of the venues and all of these things, it's a real educational experience. Yes,
2: I hope so. I mm-hmm. hope so because you know, I've always believed there are several several ways of acquiring art, and financial transaction is only one of them. yeah uh, the first way of acquiring uh, art or acquisition of an artwork is 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 by looking or yeah. feeling it's a sensual emotional approach to the artwork and that's absolutely available to anybody you just have to be able to create the conditions in which it's possible everybody can own in their in their being the experience of an artwork and then there's a, an intellectual acquisition, if you want to, if you want to push it a bit further, it's not necessary, it's not compulsory, but it's, you know, it's a possibility. You can learn more about the work of the artist, or about the, the movement that the artist worked in, or about artists that worked before him, or perhaps artists that have, he have been inspired by him or her. Um, so you can contextualize it. It's an intellectual acquisition. It's also available to everybody. It's available to absolutely everybody that wants to, you know, devote a little bit of time to it. Um, and that's something that I also want to make very, very clear. And, and through FIAC, there is nothing stopping, you know, anybody to uh, becoming actually an expert. You know, mm. I mean, it's I see it happen all the time. You know, you don't need to have you know it's not it's not a restricted uh field uh you just have to you know be open um and your in your in your eyes and your mind uh and permeable i think that's one of the greatest barriers actually and the financial you know acquisition is is, is it's just for me while it should be the in the the it should be it should happen after the first encounter with the artwork, which is visual, sensual, and then you know understanding more about what the artwork is, and then you know if you if you have the means and if you want to, you can buy it. But mm-hmm. that's only there's only only mm-hmm. a restricted number of people can do that. The rest's for everybody. So Fiat mm-hmm. needs to encourage that as well. As I said, I think that the, um, the real issue. Is uh, with this question of the making more democratic the access to art is the fact that because of decades and decades and in fact even centuries of this sort of undercurrent of you know art being reserved for the elite, although before people went to churches and there were artworks, but it's been it's it's things have been becoming less and less. So, um, museums, you know, I I know, I've met a lot of people that, you know, the idea of going to a museum is scary. The idea of going to, entering a private gallery is even scarier, Mm -hmm. you know. I mean, I remember having, when I had my gallery, people would sometimes, like, they would timidly, like, push the door and they'd ask me, you know, like, how much it costs to enter, yeah, and, uh, and, you know, you you, you realise that there's such a lot of work to be done to, mm-hmm. to change things around. And then, you know, when you grow up, if you don't have somebody tell you or show or make you experience the fact that museums are for you too, that art is for you, that art is actually working for you, if your family background tends to exclude you from the cultural world, you probably grow up thinking that, you don't have access to to art, and this is a real issue. It's a question about permeability. Am I going to allow myself to to look at this,
0: mm-hmm.
2: you know, or if I see a piece of artwork, do I shut down immediately, thinking that I'm not going to understand it or that it's it's too complicated, you know?
1: Speaking of family background, your your own upbringing wasn't one that you would necessarily i I think there was it seems like an artistic element i understand your father was a tailor or and your mother was a nurse uh, and so there's artistry and fashion and but it wasn't one that you would think this is a through line to art no 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 absolutely (laughs) i was i was something of a black
2: sheep actually in my family it's always a mystery to know why you know some people are inclined towards some things and other people are inclined towards other things but it's true that Clearly, when I was quite young, I was already I was already attracted to art. My parents realised that I was I I was actually I actually had issues with my eyes um, mm-hmm. when I was quite little, because I was colouring colouring in, you mm-hmm. know, but very 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 well, but. ...to another line that only oh. I could see because I was cross-eyed. Oh. <laughs> so, so, I mean, that's, there's already, like, you know, there's already... Uh, apparently my colouring, my, my things was, were really, really good... ...but there was just a line that I was the only one that could see it. So, But that's called vision. Yes. <laughs> I mean, a yes. visionary. Then, then yes. I went to... Then I had to, because I, I was quite badly cross-eyed... Yes. This, ...I'm about three years old at this time or something... Mm. ...I had to go to eye re-education mm-hmm. at the hospital... And I think I think this is something also that it must have been it must have had an influence because I was very young, and I, I had to go to to these eye clinics and they have you they have you look you have to look very very in a very concentrated way at these little things like you have to put a bear in a cage but in fact you the only way you can do it is to it's, oh, it's to make your muscles work us, yeah. you have to do it with you know by forcing your eyes to work the way that mine clearly weren't working uh, as well as they could have so not only do i have very bad vision in my left eye but also i was cross-eyed so i had all these seance these mm-hmm. at the hospital right throughout my my young years i had one eye covered my left eye was covered mm-hmm. um, and adults mm-hmm. were always asking me what i could see you know mm-hmm. always it's like you know and so what do you see and that's and I training. I think that, yeah, I mean I think, I can, I, sometimes I look back and I'm like, it must, you know, it must have affected me uh, in a positive way. When I was little too, I was allowed to, um, to make anything I wanted, like clothes I wanted. He would, he would always bring me the, the material that I needed, the, the stuff that I needed to make my design outfits that I wanted to make, and he would help me make them. But I was able to, I was allowed to wear them.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. Only at home, I wasn't allowed to wear them to school. But, you know, there was, I was encouraged. I had a drawing that I must have drawn a lot, but I do remember that one of my drawings was in one of those, you know, itinerant children's art exhibitions that, you know, went Mm -hmm. around the world. And my parents were so proud. Uh. uh, So, so proud about that. And I also remember, and well, Dad was a tailor, as I said, and there were, there were mannequins, you know, at home when I was very young. Afterwards, afterwards, no, but they were, you know, anthropomorphic, and they had, mm-hmm. and I could only see them, of course, from un, from underneath because mm-hmm. I was little. But they were like these, you know, bodies, you know, with mm-hmm. with bits of clothing. I'm sure it was my first um, approach to sculpture. Mm-hmm. I'm really, I'm certain of that. I mean, there's they're fascinating. Yeah, there's a there's yeah. a there's a, yeah. um, there's a there's a real emotion there. Uh-huh. Uh, that I can I recall e- mm-hmm. exactly. And I wasn't allowed to touch them, of course, mm-hmm. either. I wasn't allowed to touch them, I was allowed to look, of course, but I wasn't allowed to touch them. And then, you know, when I was 11 already, I, I did, we, we, you know, when you're at school, sometimes they, they, they ask you to, you can do a free project, you can choose mm-hmm. your subject. And I did, mine was on Picasso when I was 11. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I was already obviously very, very inclined to to, to art. And my mother died unfortunately mm-hmm. uh, when i was 14 very um soon after i turned 14 uh, she was very very ill but she she when she died already she already thought that my life would be an art she saw me at, at art school actually mm-hmm. but because i was an academic also i mean i was a very good student i was i wasn't pushed into an academic vein i i found it naturally but when I was at school I was able to luckily luckily for me, I was able to, to study um, art as one of my options even though I was in this academic thing. And uh, quickly, uh, very quickly on, by the, by when I was fourteen, I could I could study art history. And mm-hmm. I studied art history as a as a full time subject mm-hmm. from the age of fourteen onwards. And in fact because I passed all my exams like you know, university entrance and all of that. One or two years before we're supposed to. Mm. At the end um, of my secondary school, I I basically I had I had all my exams. I, I basically only studied art history by myself mm. because I used to project, project images to myself, and I studied art history, hus- history and English literature, mm. and I did the. The Concours General, um, mm-hmm. you know, which is you know the highest, I guess, exam, and most people don't even. I think there are only two hundred people that actually pass the exam. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I mean, it was it was kind of I guess you know looking back,
1: it was very unusual. I consider you an artist. Well, you have all this knowledge, so you allow those projects, those artists to to communicate and realise them. So it is what I think a kind of it's invisible a creative, it's, it's a creative,
2: creative. endeavour for sure. Yes. I don't
1: consider myself an
2: artist. I, I realised pretty very early on analysis, actually that yeah. yes, that my contribution would be through analysis. It mm-hmm. would be as a mediator or an analyst. Then much more than as a as a as a producer myself. I was I mm-hmm. uh, much 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 better at that, and I realised that very early on.
1: But it, like a film producer, whatever so on all these all projets and yes and yes that. yes, you are making it happen. You know, like the film producer, he it, the film does not happen without mm. it in your. Putting Actually, people I, together, I was,
2: curators and all I was that. talking, yeah, 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 and conversation programs and, yes. you know, with my staff also. Um, we have uh, performance programs as well. Yes. Um, I was talking to somebody today, and, and for the first time, I just kind of like, because, yes, there is a lot going mm-hmm. on around FIAC, and, um, and I said, yeah, well, kind of like, um, I guess I'm kind of like the chef d'orchest. Yeah. Because it's true that, you know, at a certain point, you have to put it all together mm. and make sure that it functions as an ensemble, a little bit like a conductor, you know. Mm. And I mean, that's also embarrassing for me because, because I don't want to, you know, anybody to think that I'm that I'm trying to like control um, everything that's going on in Paris culture. But at that particular time, to to highlight it and to make it all to showcase it, yes, I mean, a few years ago, people started using the term, <laughs> papes. The, oh, the Pope ooh. of Contemporary <laughs> Art, which yeah. I, you know, I really feel uncomfortable with um, because there's something very dogmatic about mm. the idea of a papis. I'm not comfortable with papis. I'm not comfortable with éminence grise. Perhaps a little bit more with the idea of a conductor.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, but bringing it all together harmonizing yeah. it yeah. and in a short, you know, condensed time frame, although I know mm. it extends, it's... October 18th to 21st, yes? yes, but it also extends for a longer yeah. period around the month Yeah, the, well, the outdoor yes.
2: projects on the t- on yeah. the Tuileries uh, stay for a month, absolutely yeah. So does the um, Place Vendôme,
1: yeah. and
2: we actually open the Place Vendôme on, on Monday, so this time it will be I think the the 16th or even the 15th So we, we open, we have the Place Vendôme and then we have the Tuileries and the Petit Palais and then the next day the Grand Palais and so the, the actual event is open to the general public for four days, but it's actually opened successively since then. Of course, the Tuileries Gardens, they are visitable from that first weekend on. Mm-hmm. All the works are up, and they stay up for a month, which is great. And this year, we have an exceptional, um, the exceptional opportunity, but it's an exceptional work to, to welcome in our, in our Tuileries Gardens project a, a very important work by Alexander Calder. Ah. It's a very large-scale um, outdoor sculpture, a stabile mobile actually, which is unusual, coming from the States. And because it's such an important work, it will stay there for a year. The president of the of the Louvre Museum has um, has agreed to to let the work uh, remain in the Tuileries Gardens for a year, which is, you know, very special. Very special. I'm happy to be able to make my little contribution. That's always what I wanted to do with uh, with my gallery, you know, to put everything that I had, you know, behind um, helping artists produce and um, and get their work out there to mediate it to pro- to, for them, to promote their work, to open opportunities. Um, everything I had in terms of energy or intellectual resources, but also financial resources and... Um, yeah, the FIAC is kind of like a, a big version of that, a great, huge version of that. Although, I mean, I'm not funding FIAC. It funds itself.
1: <laughs> no, but that's, that's so nice that you, you're you free of that part of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they it and, funds yeah. it. Yeah? Yeah. And then you have oh, that's the big orchestra. And I find that students, you know, it's the joy of it. And students are really, you know, when they're so young, they're in touch with what... Brings us to the arts, and I, I think for me, I love working with them. Yes, it, it reminds us yes. why we got into this, you sure, know. Sure, absolutely. And um, we I have a to whole
2: mediation program, which is um, with the with the École du Louvre. Each of the artworks that were that are shown in the public space in the context of FIAC. So last year, there were like 60 something sculptures in the public yes. space. And Each of them is accompanied for, yeah, yeah. for two by two mm-hmm. students from the Ecole du Louvre. Uh, they're studying yeah, to they be museum curators. The, yeah, and they, you know, before FIAC opens, they uh, study the work of the artist, meet the gallery, meet the artist when it's possible. And their role is to is to if the public solicits them, they have they have um, jackets so they're identifiable. So if the if members of the public solicit them to exchange about the work to to dialogue with the public at whatever level of of, uh, of discourse the person shows a a desire for it can be something can be very basic information mm-hmm. or it could be more elaborate uh, theoretical um, exchange mm-hmm. the idea being that you know you can't just like plop or plonk artworks in a public space and expect people to deal with them, you know, mm-hmm. with no information. We, I mean, we present yeah. a guide, we publish a guide which is freely available, um, which which has little texts about each artwork and bi- basic biographical information about the artist. But it, there are also real people there, people mm-hmm. that are actually experts because they're training to become museum curators, uh, that are there to, to, to dialogue about the work. And it's also got to do with the thing about creating the conditions in which people really feel that they, that they can interact with art, them too. Mm-hmm. You know, I had a very, you know, just to close, very moving mm-hmm. experience quite early on in the Tuileries Gardens. Um, we were showing a work by Mona Hatoum, which mm-hmm. was, um, uh, you know, she's a Lebanese um, living and in, in, in Britain woman artist, and she made this incredibly beautiful work that was right across the centre alley of the Tuileries Gardens, and it was sacks, um, made of sacking, you know, um, with that very sort of loose grain sacks filled with sand mm-hmm. and piled one on top of the other like you see in war zones yes. you know to create mm-hmm. barriers but inside these sacks there were little um, grains of like grass that were planted and so over the period of the exhibition time the, the grass sprouted and grew, uh, grew through the sacking mm-hmm. and so this nature and life surged from something that was initially very aggressive and very barren, and and also recalling, you know, war zones, zones of conflict. So we were doing this visit with the the guardians of the Tuino Gardens, because, once again, you know, they work there every day, and, you know, we can't just arrive with our 25 artworks and, like, put them in their space Mm -hmm. without any form of explanation. Um, So we were doing a tour with the guardians, Mm -hmm. and... There was one, one girl that was, that was there from North African background, I believe. And she was like, oh, but, you know, it's like... Um, and this was, this was intuitive. Uh, this, was, this was before any information. It was like, oh, but it's like, um, you know, life was, um, was, was overcoming all these barriers and difficulties. And I was like, exactly, you know? And this is, even today, it still makes me, it moves me. Mm-hmm. Because it just shows you that, you know, this is somebody whose job was to be a, a surveillance guardian of the tuileries. And it's not it wasn't an, an obviously accessible work of art. But if you create the conditions in which people feel comfortable interacting with them, there's some really beautiful things that can emerge from that encounter and things that there I think are
1: life-changing. And so that's why I enjoy it what i do it moves me it moved me when i met you first it's uh that, that event for the event for the key award and it, it moves me your sincerity and commitment to artists and to reaching to bringing it to all sectors of society this, we have this other little project we're doing is international curators for the vote 2020 in the Mm -hmm. US. It's a film festival and arts uh, initiative because it's the centenary of women's suffrage. And not a lot of people know that New Zealand was, yes, again, the 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 first first country country in the world (laughs) to give the right of vote to
2: women in 1893, I believe. Yes, yes. Yes. And uh, yes, so that, well, my great-grandmother voted in her lifetime. When I was at school, um, I went to a girls' school because that's, you know, that, that at the time, that's that's what was done. But we were told that we could do absolutely every, anything we wanted, anything whatsoever. We could If we wanted to be aerodynamic engineers, I mean, there were no barriers, none. Yeah, that also made me the person that I am today. I always thought that I could do exactly what I wanted. People also say, in terms of fiat, that the fact that I I am uh, a foreigner has enabled me to, to, well has helped me, Mm -hmm. because it's true that I don't feel burdened by convention. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't feel tied down by what people uh, expect, you know, because it's always been done that way. Mm-hmm. I, I feel completely unfettered and yeah. my um don't feel bound by convention and you know, I don't obviously the aim is to federate is to federate the cultural world around the event. So I'm I'm not going to create upset gratuitously, but if I think something can be done differently and better, then I will definitely do it.
1: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah doing amazing work. Thank you. Um it's it's been an honor speaking to you. Thank you so much for everything that you've done to promote the arts and humanities and the social initiatives, um, what you've done for um, really reinvigorating FIAC and the international art scene. So it's uh, thank well, you. Well it's for... only the start. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for adding you. a voice to the creative thank process. You. Thank it's you a very pleasure. much.
0: This interview was conducted by Mia Funk with the participation of collaborating universities and students. Associate Interviews producer on this podcast was Ali Chow. Digital Media Coordinator is Yu Yong Lee. Wintertime was composed by Nicholas Anatolis and performed by the Athenian Trio. Has this interview sparked your creative process? If so, you can submit your creative works to submissions at creativeprocess.info for an opportunity to be included in the projection elements of our exhibition traveling to leading universities or published on our website, www.creativeprocess.info. Want to get involved in exhibitions or interviews? Email us at team at creativeprocess.info.